0: you're listening to the SSPX podcast this is the sixth installment of the personal retreat from Father Stephen McDonald on the Sacred Heart in this episode in this episode he discusses the two virtues that are necessary in order to have confidence in the Sacred Heart as with all of our podcasts it does take a great amount of time and resources to put these together and expensive equipment if you are at all able please consider donating monthly 5 ten, even $20 if you are able, in order to help support the work of the SSPX Podcast. These small donations add up and you will be able to help spread the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. If you're not able to donate, please subscribe and rate the podcast and write a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. This helps us immensely and helps more people to be able to find this podcast in their feed. Now, here's Father Stephen McDonald.
1: We have been considering Christ's great desire to show mercy to the sinner who truly repents. Mercy is, of course, a very special characteristic of the Sacred Heart. Our Lord has given us ample proof in both his parables and in his life of his great desire to show mercy. In fact, the Sacred Heart calls us to an ever greater confidence in his loving mercy. But to carry out this spirit of confidence in God's mercy, we must look at two different virtues. Firstly, the virtue of confidence, which causes us to trust in mercy, which allows us to combat the lack of confidence, which is so prevalent in today's world, as well as the virtue of mercy, which moves us to imitate the very mercy of the Sacred Heart, reminding ourselves that in showing mercy, we will have mercy shown to us. Firstly, we consider the virtue of confidence. We define it quite simply as the virtue which causes one to hope in the help offered by God to save one's soul. The virtue which causes one to hope in the help offered by God to save one's soul. In fact, it's this virtue of confidence that Which can make someone certain of this help. We are confident that God will give us the help we need to save our soul. This virtue of confidence is a very necessary, very consoling virtue. It reminds us of our great need for our Lord Jesus Christ, our absolute dependence on our Lord. In fact, that dependence on our Lord is the very basis of this confidence. The virtue of confidence, though, requires two things. Firstly, the humility to recognize our own misery, to recognize that we are nothing without God, that the human means at our disposal are insufficient. We must rely upon God and his grace to help us save our soul. And then secondly, it requires a great trust in our Lord, which is the very foundation of our hope the foundation of our trust, the foundation of our confidence. Don Marmion, in his beautiful work, Union with God, speaks of this confidence, the importance that we must have in having confidence in God. He says, I assure you, it is the demon who tries to to cast darkness and distrust into your soul. There is nothing our Lord demands so much from his lovers as hoping against hope, just trusting in his loyalty, his fidelity, his love. And nothing so wounds him as any distrust or want of confidence. That's something we say often. The devil, of course, works in a spirit of darkness, a spirit of despair. He likes to sow discord, a certain dissettlement in our soul. Whereas our Lord loves to work in a spirit of peace, a spirit of confidence, and that's one of the things the Sacred Heart laments over and over in his apparitions to St. Margaret Mary, is simply the lack of confidence that men have in him, the lack of confidence they have in his great mercy. We speak of some foundations of our confidence in God, our confidence in our Lord, our confidence in the Sacred Heart. The first is very simple. Christ is our mediator. He is even now mediating for us, interceding for us in heaven. He still seeks to show mercy. He still petitions for us. And that should fill us with a great confidence because we do not go alone asking God for favors. We have our Lord as our great intermediary. Our great mediator. He will intercede for us, and he does intercede for us. A second foundation for our confidence is the simple fact that our Lord died for us. He will not forget us. We often say, of course, God does nothing in vain. Our Lord is, of course, God, His death is not in vain. If he loved us enough to die for us, to suffer for us, he will not forget us. We will always be before his eyes. And therefore, he will always seek to deliver us from sin, from the slavery of the devil. He will always seek to bring his mercy to us. He cannot forget us. A third foundation for our confidence in this great mercy of God is that our Lord still works through his church, still speaks to us through his mystical body, his bride here on earth. And although, of course, the church is made up of both saints and sinners, there's a human and a divine element to the church, the church cannot fail. Our Lord will always be with the church, and he will always sanctify souls through the church, through the sacraments, through his teaching, Through the Mass. Our Lord still works through His church. He still speaks to us through His ministers. And that should fill us with a great confidence. A fourth foundation of our confidence is that our Lord wishes to give Himself to us in the Eucharist. How could we not be filled with confidence in God's mercy when we may receive His precious body and blood? every Sunday or even every day if we're fortunate enough to have daily Mass. Our Lord wishes to dwell within us. Our Lord wishes to take up an abode in our hearts, in the very depths of our soul. How could we not be filled with confidence knowing that our Lord desires such an intimate union with us? And then finally, a fifth foundation for our confidence in Christ's great mercy is the fact that our Lord is our head. We are members of Christ. We are members of his mystical body. And St. Paul speaks so beautifully about how we, in a sense, fill up what is wanting in Christ. Not that there's anything wanting in Christ. He's absolutely perfect. But he chooses to engraft us into his mystical body. He wishes us to take our place, to play our part, in the great work of salvation. Again, this should fill us with such a great confidence. Our Lord is our head. We are members of Christ. Father Mateo, in his work, Father Mateo speaks to priests, speaks of three sources of confidence in God that we should all have. We should be confident in God Firstly, because of the infinite wisdom of God. I quote to you from Father Mateo. First of all, confide blindly in the infinite wisdom of him who alone knows how to draw good from evil, health and strength from illness, and life from death itself. Have such a tremendous faith in the wisdom of God that you let him do with you whatever he wants. Allow him to work out his plans as he wills to the extent of going against your own plans overthrowing your own projects even though they be as far as you can see for his honor and glory trust in his divine wisdom which never destroys except to rebuild with eternity in view which never sends a trial except to give peace and joy to the soul that he permits to suffer trust in the divine wisdom that has mysterious plans which escape our comprehension he himself has said for my thoughts are not your thoughts Nor your ways, my ways, saith the Lord. The Sacred Heart once said to St. Margaret Mary, Give me a free hand. Let me do what I please. He is infinitely wise. He knows exactly what he is doing. He has a perfect plan for us. And therefore, we should be filled with confidence. It's why we must learn to abandon ourselves to God's divine will trusting in his plan for us, never questioning, never faltering, but instead embracing what our Lord has in store for us. Again, I quote you from Father Matteo: This is what the Sacred Heart had in mind when he said to St. Margaret Mary, give me a free hand, let me do what I please. In these words, we will find our security, our merit, and our peace. I once had to change trains going from Lourdes to Paris. By mistake, I got aboard the wrong train. By the time I found out my error, my train had left. Naturally, I felt annoyed, for it meant I would arrive many hours late for a retreat. But when I saw the next day's paper, I realized what a providential mistake it was. The train I should have taken never arrived in Paris. It was wrecked in a terrible accident in which many were killed and injured. We all have had similar experiences. They should teach us to never get upset if things turn out different from the way we had planned. Never ask for explanations. Simply trust blindly the One who loves us and who permits many mysterious things to happen to us because He loves us. Always take Jesus' train, and you cannot make a mistake. It's so beautiful and so true. If we just learn to abandon ourselves to our Lord, we will be filled with confidence. He knows what he's doing, and he will protect us. A second source of confidence in God for Father Matteo is the infinite justice of God. After all, our Lord himself has promised to reward the good, even if you give but a cup of cold water in my name. I will will reward you because you do it to me. Again, I quote to you from Father Matteo. Yes, fortunately for us, we shall all one day be judged, not by an unjust judge, but by a judge of infinite justice, who knows and weighs all the evidence, who, unlike men, is able to distinguish between ignorance, weakness, and malice, who consequently never makes a mistake, His decisions are always just because they are based on infinite wisdom. This infinitely just judge cannot demand of a fledgling what he expects of an eagle. That is why, to the astonishment and even scandal of certain severe, ignorant, or hypocritical minds, Jesus pardons great sinners far more easily than does the most loving of mothers. He knows us far better than our own mothers know us. And then he goes on to quote the great three surprises that we will find in heaven, which are enumerated by Gregory the Great. The first surprise I am in heaven. What a surprise for those who feared God's justice so much. For those of us who fear God's judgment, who constantly worry about their faults, what a surprise when we wake up to eternity in heaven to find out that we have made it because God is so good, so just. The second surprise of St. Gregory the Great is the fact that some soul you thought so pious, so saintly, hasn't arrived yet. Sometimes we're not the best judge of someone's piety, someone's holiness. And the third great surprise in heaven, when you see someone you did not like on earth... What are you doing here? What a surprise. God is infinitely wise, but he's also infinitely just. And we are glad that he will judge us because he knows everything. He knows our hearts and he understands our weakness. Rather than committing sin out of malice, often we commit sin out of weakness. He understands this. And so he shows us great mercy And then finally, the third source of confidence in God for Father Mateo is the infinite love of God for us. God loves us as if we were the only soul on the face of this earth. And therefore, we must have boundless confidence in the sacred heart, not in spite, but because of our wretchedness. Again, I quote Father Mateo, Yet God is nothing but love. Jesus is love. When he commands, when he forbids, when he rewards, when he corrects, when he punishes, it is always the heart of Jesus manifesting itself. Even the severity which God sometimes displays here on earth is only the proof of his infinite mercy. It is his heart chastising in time that he may save in eternity. That is why rigorous justice in this world is in reality we infinitely tender and merciful for it often spares us a terrible purgatory and even hell itself again this is something that we don't often think enough about it's actually a great act of god's love to send us trials sufferings crosses because it allows us in a sense to do our purgatory here on earth it saves us from the suffering hereafter And what is a small trial, a small suffering in this life compared to an eternity of glory, an eternity of happiness? And because our Lord knows our wretchedness, our weakness, our littleness, our absolute incapability of doing any good, he will have mercy on us and he will guide us. What are the enemies to this great confidence in God? The first is too much confidence in oneself. Thinking oneself so grand, so perfect, that we confide in ourselves, that we look to ourselves for our own direction. Or perhaps a confidence in the material goods of this world, thinking that somehow... We on our own or we using the things of this world will affect our salvation when, of course, it is a work of God. We have to be careful not to have so much confidence in self or the things of this world. Another enemy of confidence is a lack of confidence due to unhappiness because we undergo trials or crosses. Of course, we all get down at times, but we must fight the spirit of burying ourselves in this unhappiness because it will cause us to lack confidence in God. Another enemy of confidence is the spirit of despair, of discouragement, often due to our past sins. How many otherwise good souls fear their salvation because they think their sins will not be forgiven? Or they fear because they have not done sufficient penance for their sins. We must remember that the devil works in the spirit of discouragement. Our Lord works in a spirit of peace. And he loves to forgive. And he loves to apply his precious blood to our souls to help us overcome our past sins. I quote you from Dom Marmion again from Union with God. You must be persuaded that your sinful past is in no way an, obst- an obstacle to very close union with God. God forgives, and his forgiveness is divine. With the angels, God was not merciful because they had no miseries. With us, who are full of miseries, God is infinitely merciful. And then finally, an enemy of confidence is simply the spirit of fear, which causes us to lack trust in God's great love for us, God's gentle love for us. In a sense, there's no room for fear in the follower of Christ. Again, I quote Don Marmion Do not be astonished or discouraged at the sight of your imperfections. Not being willful, they draw down the compassion and mercy of our God, who is touched by the weakness of his children. A child should not fear his loving father. And therefore, this spirit of fear has no place in the heart of an apostle of the sacred heart. Instead, he should be filled with confidence, knowing that our Lord loves to show mercy. Which, of course, leads us then to the second virtue we must consider, which is the virtue of mercy. We define it simply as the heartfelt sympathy for another's distress, impelling us to help them if we can. A heartfelt sympathy... For another's distress. We have a compassion for someone who is suffering, for someone who is unhappy, but also a virtue which impels us to help them if we can, to look to relieve their suffering. Of course, this virtue of mercy applies especially with regards to the sinner, to wish their conversion, to wish for them to turn over a new leaf the wish for them to live a life of grace, to turn to our Lord, to find salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of this, mercy is very much a divine virtue. It is an act of charity. Whenever we show mercy or forgiveness to someone, whenever we show compassion for one who is suffering, we imitate our Lord himself. And that's why, of course, it's so important for us as followers of Christ to develop more and more a love for souls, to desire souls to, save, to be saved, to desire souls to love our Lord, to want to bring Christ to souls. This virtue of mercy, of course, causes us to sympathize to feel for other's sufferings, to treat other's soul's sufferings as our own. That's the beauty of, of course, being a member of the mystical body. When one soul is suffering, in a sense, we all suffer with them because we love them profoundly. This virtue of mercy, then, is, of course, always based on our love for God. We want to imitate Christ We make him our model. And we want to love Christ in others. To truly give ourselves over to our Lord through this love for neighbor. Now there are, of course, enemies to this virtue of mercy. Things that we must avoid if we wish to practice the virtue of mercy. The first is selfishness. Self-centeredness which, of course, causes us to lack a spirit of sacrifice. We live in a world of selfishness. So many men and women today are simply self-centered. They cannot in any way bring themselves out of self. All they think about, all they care about, is themselves. And everything that happens around them in some way always comes back to themselves. This is an enemy of mercy because, of course, if all we ever think of is self, we will not see the sufferings of others. We will not have that compassion, that desire to help our neighbor. And if all we think of self, of course, we cannot adopt the spirit of Christ who went about doing good to all that he encountered. We must combat this spirit of selfishness by forgetting self, by dying to self, by thinking of the needs of others, by sacrificing our own needs, our own wants, our own desires. A second enemy of this virtue of mercy is a spirit of revenge, a desire to get even, a spirit which causes us to brood over offenses offered to us. And of course, we've all been guilty of this in the past. We are offended by someone, and so we brood over it. We, we ruminate over it and we hold a grudge and if we're not careful we will look for means to get back at this soul to give an eye for an eye and yet that's not the spirit of Christ what does our Lord say when someone strikes us on the cheek turn and offer them the other when someone takes our coat we offer them our cloak as well when someone asks us to walk a mile we walk another one with them This virtue of mercy causes us to forget the offenses offered us, to forgive them in union with our Lord, in imitation of our Lord's great mercy, his great spirit of forgiveness. And then a final enemy of this virtue of mercy is a spirit of pettiness, of what we might call small-mindedness this is a spirit of course that lacks nobility that lacks the vision of the big picture a petty person a small-minded person will always stay on a very base level they cannot see the big picture of why perhaps god allows this or that to happen because it's for eternal salvation instead They only see that moment, that momentary suffering, that momentary offense. Forgetting that this is just a moment in time. An opportunity of grace. An opportunity to carry the cross. An opportunity to practice virtue. An opportunity to grow closer to our Lord. We must fight this spirit of pettiness, this spirit of small-mindedness. By always keeping in mind the big picture, we are made for God. And this life, however brief it may be, is meant to be a stepping stone for our Lord, to our Lord, I should say, a stepping stone for eternity. And therefore, we must always practice a spirit of nobility, seeing in everything that happens an opportunity to serve God, an opportunity to forget self, to lose self to die to self so that we might find Christ. The Sacred Heart, of course, calls us to trust in his mercy. He wishes us to imitate him. And this is so important, especially because the devil constantly tempts us to despair, to discouragement. We must never never forget the devil was defeated by the mercy of Christ. Christ. And because he does not want us to turn to the mercy of Christ, he will lie to us with regards to our sins, that they are too great to ever be forgiven, that our Lord has turned his back on us, that we don't deserve his mercy. These are lies of the devil. We have been forgiven. Our Lord loves to show forgiveness. He loves to show mercy. And he wishes to be united with us. He wishes us to have confidence in his mercy. So finally, what are some practical applications for the apostle of the sacred heart? Practical applications to to practice these virtues of confidence and mercy. A first application is to simply remind ourselves that our Lord loves to show mercy. Never doubt this. This is one of our Lord's greatest joys, is to forgive, to show mercy. Also remind yourself, our Lord knows all our faults, all our weaknesses. He knows us so much better than we know ourselves. He knows every tiny detail, every weakness, every fault. And yet he still calls us to perfection. That should fill us with the greatest confidence. Despite our faults, despite our weaknesses, and yes, even despite our sins, our Lord still calls us to intimate union with him. A third application we must make is simply to remind ourselves that we must have a healthy distrust of self, but a complete trust and confidence in Christ. That in many ways is the recipe for success in the spiritual life. A healthy distrust of self, an awareness that we can do nothing on our own, that we're capable of only sin left to ourselves, and yet a complete trust in Christ, that by the grace of our Lord, we can do great things. As St. Paul himself tells us, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. A fourth application we should make is to love Christ and others. To love to show mercy, to seek to show compassion to others. It is one of the best ways to imitate Christ, to go out of our way to help those in need, those who are suffering, and to be so willing and so ready to forgive those who offend us. A fifth practical application is to seek to serve God in love, not fear. Of course, fear is the beginning of wisdom, and we should all have have a healthy fear of hell, of sin, of being separated from God. But it must move us to a greater love of God, that we wish to avoid sin because it offends the all-good God. We wish to avoid hell because it separates us from this good God. We must seek to serve God in a spirit of love and not just in a spirit of fear. A sixth practical application is a reminder that God's mercy calls us to perfection, to rest in God's love. We must never be content but always move forward. But in a spirit of peace, because this work of Christian perfection is the work of God. And if he calls us to it, because remember, God does nothing in vain, it is attainable, and we will attain it if we simply trust in our Lord. A seventh practical application is to be simple of heart, to be open, to be confident in our superiors, in the workings of God's grace in our soul, to always be open to God's inspiration. And then finally, a practical application that we must remember is that our sins have been forgiven and they will be forgiven as long as if we are truly sorry and as long as if we truly turn to our Lord, trusting in his mercy Trusting in his great love for the sinner. My dear friends, mercy is the hallmark of Christ, and therefore it must be the hallmark of the apostle of Christ a confidence in God's mercy, a desire to show mercy to others. We are meant to be vehicles of God's mercy. Therefore, we must have confidence in that mercy. It is God's mercy, the following of Christ, that calls us to perfection. And if that's the case, how can we not succeed if we follow that path? How can we not become saints if we truly follow the path of the Sacred Heart?